This is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, We're so excited to bring you this bonus episode today as we head into the holiday season. In fact, this will be the first in a series of episodes that we're going to call Home for the Holidays. So this year, many of us are going to be celebrating the holidays with family and friends who we may not have seen in a while, at least been in person uh, for a while. So many of us didn't go home for the holidays last year and because of all of the COVID and pandemic stuff. So we thought it might be helpful to give you all some help using the perspective of the Enneagram to handle some of these hard situations that sometimes pop up in dealing with difficult or challenging family members. What? What is that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Today, we're going to start with a lighthearted approach for those of you who love to talk about the Enneagram, but you feel some resistance around your family and friends, and some of you are dying to have your aunt realize that she is a type two, or for your dad just to know that he has some really unhealthy eight characteristics. Well, if they understood this, you believe everything could change. Well, today we're going to discuss why some people don't just get interested in the Enneagram and why they're hesitant and how you can respond to this resistance. And we're so excited to have our Chief Operating Officer, Susie Barber, join us today for this really fun and yet serious conversation. Well, yeah, Susie, hey, welcome. We're so glad you're with us on yeah, this one. Uh, thanks. I was I was going to just say, we never get to record just the three of us, actually. I think this is the first yeah. time we've done that. We're usually like, we have the team, or we have a panel of aides, or you know something like That's that. That's right. So, yeah. And one of, of the joys, you're in person. Like, you're sitting across yes, the table. Yeah. What is this <laughs> life after a year or two of COVID here? So it's yes. fun to be in the studio with you guys today. Oh, that's super fun. Well, here's a few things that, that I was I thought about when when this conversation comes up. Um, about talking with family members about using the Enneagram or learning about it, taking a test. Um, one, people are resistant. I mean, so there's just hesitancy to bring it up. And um, I think number two, the trendiness of the Enneagram really can inhibit conversation because it, it seems like it's the cool thing to do and people feel pressured to want to opt in or they're just antagonistic to any kind of trends. And Christians can be very trendy. I mean, yikes. Uh, um, just, yeah, I won't go down that path. But <laughs> And then there's just the other stuff. I, I know this is true for, for me at times that some people are just misinformed. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get really irritated inside when someone says, oh, I'm a six with a one wing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't, don't make me correct you in public. I know. So that even makes it harder because then you're trying to teach them what it is and in front of all these other people and now it's dominating the conversation. So that's really tough. And then there's just the people who misuse it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it the, the Enneagram can be a very useful tool. When used rightly. <laughs> to, to do the things that you want to do. You can put someone in their place with it. Um, you can defend your behavior with it. You can do yeah. all kinds of things with it. And so just talking about the Enneagram in general can be tough, but whenever people start bringing certain objections to it, when you're just curious and want to find out more about them and you're learning about yourself, that can get in the way of just the joy of having better relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, as I was talking with Beth, um, and Bethy, you can comment on this first. There's a few things to get started that I want. We wanted to mention. 
about really what is our heart, what are the values or priorities when talking to other people about the Enneagram? Yeah, I mean, I think the first and foremost thing is we don't need to actually talk about the Enneagram while at the same time talking about the Enneagram, meaning like we can have regular family and friend conversations while still in the back of our mind kind of knowing that people's Enneagram types are at play and kind of just keeping um, that tucked away if you feel like it's going to bring um, discord or frustration or irritability. And so really we want to approach these moments with our family, especially if we haven't seen them for so long with kindness, you know, gentleness, patience, tenderness, compassion, empathy, um, and a willingness for our own self to grow instead of trying to make everyone else grow. Yeah. Susie, what, you've experienced this both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. So female eight, notoriously, yes a difficult experience for people. Totally. Um, And why don't you share a little bit about how kindness and curiosity, sometimes those are violated because people are using the Enneagram in harmful ways. Yeah, well, 100%. I think um, when I first learned about the Enneagram, funny story, Beth and I used to work together. Jeff, you were there too for a little bit in different ways at Michael Hyatt and Company. And Michael had actually encouraged our team to take the Enneagram. And I was so frustrated. Like, so I didn't know I was a type eight, but the way that I will talk about this, everybody's going to be like, how did you not know? Um, because I was literally like, I'm, this is so stupid. This is so dumb. Like, and um, it was really that strong. This is so stupid. So strong. Yeah. And Michael, literally, you would think like, oh, I was saying that privately and not to my boss. But again, I'm a female Enneagram eight. And so I'm like, <laughs> Michael, like, I hate these things. And it was because I had taken so many workplace personality yeah. assessments that to me did not add value, um, took a lot of time, were not productive, and didn't really explain a lot, were confusing, and I felt put in a box. And I use that classic phrase. And so it's funny now because I'll... I'll engage with people about it who don't know about it, family and friends, and they always say that. And I'm always like, they're like, I don't want to be put in a box. And I'm like, yep, I didn't either. That is literally what I said is I'm going to be like labeled and put in a box. And honestly, in the workplace, I experienced that. Once I learned my Enneagram type, I actually did experience like, shoot, I don't want to be an eight because people have misconceptions or misunderstandings about eights, especially in the workplace. And so I did actually have to work through like, I'm stuck in a box and what kind of roles can eights do in the workplace? And so there were times where it was harmful throughout my career, but honestly, it's like transformed my marriage. It has um, transformed my leadership. It is one of the most powerful tools that I've ever used. So it adds immense value and I'm so glad I did it. But how Beth and I started really spending time together outside of work and getting to know each other is I literally said, I think Beth knows something. Beth on our team knows something about the Enneagram. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's like certified and building a business, a side business that is your Enneagram coach, which I'm now the COO of, yeah. um, which is just <laughs> insane how that's all come together. Um, but I said, Beth, I'm so frustrated with this test because now not only have I had to take this test because Michael told me to, which I didn't want to do. But I don't know which one of these types I am. It says I could be like three of them. Like, what is this? And um, and she's like, I'm going to come over. And you literally just came over to my house and sat around um, on the couch with all of us. And I was like thinking about the three, thinking about the two, thinking about, you know, and none of these quite fit. And as I kept getting more ex- exasperated, <laughs> you were yeah. kind of like, I want you to think about the eight. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe take a look at this. And, um, you said some key things that really helped me yeah. figure that out and land on it. And it's funny because 
I, my, a bunch of my friends were taking it at the same time. And the people that were closest to me were like, read the description of the, the eight once. And they were like, Oh, that's Susie. And I'm like, how do you guys know that, that that's me? Yeah. And then sure. Well, enough, and to is, be fair. But, yeah. And I think the, for the listeners, you know, this is a great example of why you don't want to type yeah. someone because you're the counter type to eight. Meaning I am right in the instinctual subtypes, which is another layer of the Enneagram. There are three different uh, subtypes of all the types. And in each of those, there's one that's the counter type, which means it doesn't look like that type, the stereotypical way that we think of it, but their core motivations are the same. And so for you being a social eight, you look much more two-ish, um, but then also you have a lot of that kind of that three component, the achiever. Mm-hmm. And so there was just a lot of parts of you that didn't just pop out straight eight, which, oh, and then though earlier in your years, you weren't as much of a strong nine wing. Um, now you have a lot of that strong nine wing do, as a yeah. part of you. And so again, there was just so many layers to your particular style of relating that didn't just show up the way everyone reads about an eight. And so, and then the hard part is then when people, like you said, find out that you're an eight, mm-hmm. then they want to put all the labels and all the misconceptions onto that person. And especially I think eights get really misunderstood. So then people take a step or two back. Totally. relationally totally, or in the work environment, like, uh, I don't know what to do here. Um, and yet if it's like, you hadn't changed, like you're still Susie. Yeah. Same person so. I was the day before I took the test. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the problem too, that in the resistance that I experienced with some people is not just the, in the box, like being labeled, but also the bad experiences. Right. Yes. So if they took another personality ses- assessment, whether it was strength finders or Myers-Briggs or, you know, something like this, um, IQ tests are not as much personality, but play a, uh, part in the workplace too, Colby and all of these add value for different reasons. Right. But if you took something and then maybe you were in a role where people thought, oh, you've got to have this in your top five strengths in order to be successful in this type of role. Right. Or you had a bad experience um, with a spouse using it against you or um, someone using it to justify their behavior. So it's like when you start to talk to your friends and family, not only are you talking about a really complex tool dealing with the objections of the, I don't want to be put in the box, but then you're also dealing a little bit with like, if they've had any bad experiences with personality assessments, they're so quick to kind of um, turn off and not want to listen to that. And that's exactly where I was. I had experienced all those kind of things. Well, and I, I mean, I'll just let everyone know. I honestly think like when you go to Thanksgiving or you go to Christmas, I would literally just not put the Enneagram totally aside because it is a valuable tool. But even with my family, you guys are probably all out there thinking, oh, I'm sure your Enneagram coach talks about the Enneagram all the time. I literally do not. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, part of that is my immediate family, my parents, my father-in-law, a lot of them don't know the Enneagram. And I wouldn't say it's that they don't want. My dad has no idea what I do. He thinks what we sell DVDs out of like a car or something. Yeah. I think my mom does, but I don't think the rest of my family gets it either. They're like, oh, she's the CEO of some kind of company that does something. Yeah. And even my parents, bless their heart, you know, they're, my dad's 79 now, you know, they're, they're trying to learn, but even he was like, uh, can you like just pair the Enneagram types up with like an animal? No, no. He doesn't say Enneagram types. He said Enneagrams. Yes. Enneagrams. Can you bring the Enneagrams (laughs) in a, an animal yes. on the interwebs. So yes. inter- yeah. <laughs> and so all that to be said is I could sit around telling them all about their type and what they should do and how they should grow and how, if they just knew it, that our relationship would be so much better, even though we have a good relationship, but I could really just go for it. And 
you know, that's just not going to help our relationship in the way that it's set up right now. And so for me, it's just like, you know what, why can't I just enter relationship with my family right where it's at? And I can always think in the back of my mind what's going on. So for instance, my dad being a a seven with a very strong six wing, you know, he's going to reframe and he's going to keep everything positive and lighthearted, but he's going to be very committed and loyal. And so when I hear conversations like that, I can affirm that and encourage that. But also I don't have to get spun out that he might not want to necessarily talk about a hard moment and I don't have to force him into it just because Mm -hmm. he's a seven and he wants to reframe. Like, why can't I be in that moment and help the conversation with my own awareness versus forcing awareness onto all the other people. So I just, you know, and then, you know, understanding someone's type, you know, you, you don't, you don't even know, like for you, Susie, like if I were to come into relationship, um, like a lot of the people did with you as an eight, then if I walk in and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just learned that my cousin's an eight. And then all of a sudden I have a flood of knowledge in my mind of what that means. Then all of a sudden that could totally dismantle that relationship and it didn't even need to. And so we, we just really want to be careful in how we use the Enneagram. And I think a lot of these concerns that people bring up are actually valid because of the misuse of the Enneagram versus having real relationship with real people. Yeah, I was going to just say too, I love what you're saying there about like, tell me you love the Enneagram without telling me you love the Enneagram, right? Like how can we use the Enneagram in relationship with our family and friends this holiday season because we're passionate about it and we know it's powerful and transformational and it can make for great conversations without it being overbearing. Like imagine sitting down on a first date and we're talking about like etiquette here and being like, okay, what's your Enneagram type? What's your Myers-Briggs score? What's your, you know, like nobody wants that. And that's, I think sometimes how our family and friends can feel if we're too honestly geeky about it too quickly. Well, and I think the stereotypes can, because people don't fully have, let's say a full perspective of everything, um, they do pe- put people in a box. Like you were talking about being an eight in business or, yeah. you know, and how people, well, as a nine, as, you know, a founder of a business, people could easily be like, well, how is that even a thing? Right. As a nine, like that's sloth. And how can a nine lead a business? Well, yeah, there are definite concerns in being a, an- a business about self discovery <laughs> that is not a top five gift for <laughs> yeah. other nines. Yeah. You've been oh, yeah. very Just- inquisitive. Yeah. And curious about your own heart. Always. So, yeah, all right. Well, just tell them that most of roll. the U.S. presidents have probably been nines, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, well, and that's, you know, I think. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And Jesus was a nine. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he was not. Jesus is not a type. But um, but all that to be said is a lot of times people could even come in. And, and I've had people even say that before. Like, wait a second. You own a company. How, wait, how how does that work? And it's just so degrading because it's like. Yeah, I do have weaknesses, but so do all the nine types as leaders, but they all have strengths and I have to maximize my strengths, but I also have to work on my weaknesses. And so if we do that same thing, not just in the business sphere, we're going to do that in the family dynamics as well. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, From May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, 
affirming, encouraging, you don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, and something to keep in mind that as I hear the two of you talk, there there is a pattern that all families have in communicating. And it's kind of routine, it's unspoken, but it's just the way that the family works. That's why whenever you have new people coming into the family, they're like, hey, you're like, your family feels a little heated or passionate when you talk about these things. And they're like, well, that's just how we always did it. Those dynamics are the same when it comes to talking about the Enneagram. You are approaching the Enneagram the same way that you ordinarily would any other topic for your family. And so if you initiate something and there's resistance that comes back, all of a sudden you're dancing as a family around this stuff. And so just to be mindful, what are the dynamics on important topics in your family Mm -hmm. so that you can kind of um, transcend? I mean, my kids would laugh at me because I use that word. That's a good word, though. It's a great word. Thank you, Beth. (laughs) Um, I literally felt it like when I was going to say, like, she's going to laugh at me if I say transcend. (laughs) I can feel my kids laughing at me now. Um, But you have to transcend the dynamic. It's kind of like a a boxing move. You got to bob and weave to be able to introduce these things and not get caught up in the same dance. So uh, all that to say, a few things to remember. The values are kindness, patience, and gentleness. Mm. We want people to experience greater levels of compassion and empathy. And one thing that's really important that we we definitely don't want you to forsake, and that is the passion and energy for your own growth. Mm-hmm. It is important, and you should recognize that it's important to you. You don't have to turn away from your understanding or desire to learn more about the Enneagram and to experience personal transformation just because your family isn't interested in it. So them not embracing it does not mean that you can't keep walking your path. So keep going down your path. It's okay to be excited about it. It's okay to be disappointed when other people don't uh, pick it up with the same energy. That's perfectly fine. Recognize the loss. Recognize the maybe the loneliness you feel with it but also recognize the gift that the Enneagram is for you in your own personal development. Well, why don't we go through some observations, objections that we've come across in our time using the Enneagram, and then we'll just color commentate as we go through these. So um, the first one, and we've already mentioned it multiple times here, is people don't want to be put in a box. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be stereotyped. And, oh, you're just being a nine, you're just being an eight, you're just being a six. Um, or you know, the jokes that I hear about, uh, hey, Jeff, do you need to talk to your inner committee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they're team members. They're not, it's not a committee, um, but, uh, and probably I do, but you shouldn't say that to me. But why don't you talk about this idea and we'll just try to get through five of these uh, as quick as we can. What, what, Beth, why don't you start us off with people don't want to be put in a box? Yeah. And I'm glad. You know, God doesn't put us in a box. I mean, yeah, we all have 
the basic elements of one of the nine types as our main type, but we have all nine types and we use them to varying degrees. We have one that reigns supreme. And, and so what that means is, you know, we will use all nine types at different points for different reasons. Um, and so therefore we really can't just be put in a box. We also have unique expressions of our gifts and talents. Um, we have a story, our own story and background, our family that we grew up in, where we lived, um, school dynamics, like all of that makes us unique and different. So if we're thinking about the Enneagram as um, colors, and like if you look at our logo, um, our logo has nine dots that represent each of the types and they all have different colors. So the nine is a purple. Well, when I go to Sherman Williams, there's not just one purple. There's a lot, I mean, hundreds, thousands of purples. Yeah. And that really represents all of us with the Enneagram. Yeah. I resonate with the core motivations, the core fear, desire, weakness, and longing of a type nine, but there's so much more about me than just that one element. Now, that obviously gives us a good you know, footing and understanding of me being a type nine and me understanding you, Susie, as a type eight and Jeff as a type six, but I have to take into consideration there's so much more about you. The other thing that we want to recognize with the Enneagram and what a lot of teachers you'll hear them say is the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It gets you out of the box that you're in. And what they mean by that is when we're unhealthy, we believe the, the lies that our personality wants to tell us, um, the head trash, the limiting beliefs that different people call it different things. And so we believe it's true because we've lived with it our whole life. Um, and that puts us in a box. So we talk about that being constrained into your type and that you're living out the false ideas that the type has. But really, when we look at it from a perspective of the gospel, what Christ is wanting us to do is to become more like him. Mm -hmm. And the more we rest and depend on our assurance and what he has done on behalf of us, so his life perfect life, death, and resurrection applied to us. Therefore, we are now righteous in his sight because of him. Therefore, we are free. And if we're free, we can let go of these constraints. We can let go of this head trash or limiting beliefs or lies. And we can move towards what is actually true, which means that we're no longer constrained into this personality mode. We're open. And when our hands or our heart or mind are open, then we're able to recognize, oh, wait, I don't have to think just like a nine because a nine, one of my thoughts is, don't assert yourself. You'll upset someone or, or uh, no one wants to listen to you. Like these are like the common thoughts of a nine. Well, I don't have to believe that anymore. And I can, there was times many years ago, I was like, why does an eight get to do blankety blank? You know, <laughs> why, why can't I? And then I realized there is no rule that is saying I can't take on some of those wonderful attributes that an eight offers. Like, why can't I step into that space? And that's what we're talking about. We don't have to be so rigid in our type. We can be way more than what we think is possible. Even the movies we watch speak to this dynamic. If you think of uh, the Truman Show and the Matrix, <laughs> yeah, are we are living confined in a world that we believe in, and then someone is inviting us out of it. I remember the scene where, uh, yeah, we're, we're talking about meeting with family, and all of a sudden I'm talking about the Matrix. The Matrix. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for some of us, this is what we're facing this holiday season. So <laughs> that's exactly, talk about it, Jeff. <laughs> that's right. But when uh, Morpheus, when Neo was fighting Morpheus for the first time in the dojo, yeah. and Morpheus kept inviting Neo, like the rules that you lived under before don't apply in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Are you breathing right now? There's no air in the matrix. Why do you think you need to breathe heavy? You're perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. 
uh, even the speed in which Neo could uh, respond to Morpheus. Like there's uh, Truman, the the way he lived his life, all of a sudden he's beating at the doors wanting to get out of this false world, but he's also terrified. Mm-hmm. And we're always terrified when we face these changes. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, you're right, Bethy, it is helping us to get out of the box that we're in. And it's it's the false box. It's not we're not saying I should no longer be a nine. I, God created me to be a nine. There's so many amazing attributes of a nine that I want to incorporate, to grow in, to enhance, and to bless the world with. And so the more I believe a false narrative in my mind, the more that part of me, the healthy part, won't show up. And so we want to not only open our, our hands and our heart and our mind to experiencing what other types have at their healthiest level, but our own as well. And so we want type twos to be helpful, but out of a place of a healthy uh, perspective and threes and et cetera. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to actually add to that real quick. I think um, I love what you're saying there in the example of like the nine choosing to pull on the eight, right. And getting out of the nine box. So for example, as an eight, normally at holiday gatherings, I would assert myself. So I'd be like, you need to know about the Enneagram. Like, no, seriously, <laughs> Uncle Joe, you're going to be a much better person and people are going to actually want you to be here, um, which we don't right now if you don't, if you know this test. Like, and I would totally like go in, right? And not be afraid to do that. But I've actually learned that that's not helpful through the Enneagram and not to press in. And so I actually pull on other characteristics from the nine and other types to learn how to not actually be assertive all the time and not assert myself and kind of move in in that direction because that's that type of aggression doesn't always work with everybody. And so one practical example when you get the the box kind of feedback if it comes up is I think it, it's helpful to kind of just share um, empathy and your own experience with it. Right. And so kind of pull back and kind of say, ask some more questions. So if someone says like, oh, I heard you're, you're doing this Enneagram thing or you know about the Enneagram or it comes up, I just don't want to be put in a box. And you just, well, tell me about that. Have you ever used a personality assessment before of any kind? And what was your experience with it? And kind of listen. And that's when you'll hear, okay, they've got some bad experiences. And then you can practically relate and incorporate that. So for me, I could say, I literally said that exact same thing when I heard about this test because I did. I said, I don't want to be put in a box. But for me, this is one of the only personality assessments. And I've been trained in a lot of them. I think a lot of them add value. We use a lot of them in hiring, not just the Enneagram here at your Enneagram coach. But um, I find that the Enneagram is the most powerful one when it comes to actually not having you be stuck in a box yeah. and giving you ways to kind of be out of that. And it's so freeing in so many ways, especially when you pair it with the gospel. So I would just encourage people when you start to hear that kind of feedback, and that's probably going to be true for all these other objections we go through as well, just to kind of be mindful of your interactions and how you can ask questions, yeah. share your own story in a way that's not too pushy to kind of address the objections. Oh, I love yeah. that. Kindness, curiosity, playfulness. I mean, you heard mm-hmm. it just there, Beth saying, yeah, you're right. We don't want to put you in a box. Right. Or the idea of being curious as to why they make the comment in the first place. Yeah. Great place to start whenever uh, someone shares with you that there's resistance regarding the Enneagram. Great. Let's go to question number two. Question number two. Um, people don't want to be vulnerable. Man, I mean, it, it is so funny. Uh, whenever we are speaking at our Becoming Us Live events, um, Beth and I, uh, we one of the ideas that really shape our families that we want to be trophies of grace. We're not going to be heroes. We're not going to be celebrities. We're going to let Jesus shine. We're just regular, normal people. 
Just because we know this material doesn't mean that we use this material. (laughs) 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 But uh, there are times when we talk about our misaligned dance, Mm -hmm. and I'm up there talking about how fearful I am of abandonment and having been adopted and faced tragedy in my life. It's very strange being in front of a hundred or hundreds of people and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm terrified inside." Sure. That yeah. is super vulnerable. Well, and, yeah, I mean, because the enneagram gets straight to the core of who we are. It does yeah. I mean, but understand too what I bring with that vulnerability is a s- s- series of stories where my anxiety was used to shame me. Right. Why can't why are you overreacting? Why are you crying? Why are you so clingy? These are all statements made to me as a kid mm-hmm. that shamed my whenever I was vulnerable and had need. But and here it comes up with the Enneagram because of what Beth just said. Mm-hmm. It it because it it does show us what our core motivations are. Yeah, and it's it's super scary because, you know, the Enneagram just really peels back everything for everyone to see at our core without us even telling them a story of how we've been impacted by that. Um, Which is wonderful if people are curious and tender and patient and compassionate, but man, it can be so detrimental if people use it wrongly. Susie, when you think of being an eight and I I wonder at times there's a resistance to an eight that is, uh, can be callous Mm -hmm. and cynical and just, I, I am who I am. I don't care. I'm going to be independent. I don't need people. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a fear of an eight. How does vulnerability play into an eight's reluctance to engage with the Enneagram? Yeah. So for me, vulnerability is probably the scariest thing. Like, um, and I think that comes down, and that's one of the reasons I knew I was an eight when we started to talk about it was um, fear of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Because when I asked myself and I kind of walked down that road, like, well, why am I why am I scared of vulnerability? Why am I scared that if other people know this about me, it's what they'll do with that information, right? So if you know that I feel a certain type of way or that I have a certain type of experience or a certain type of wound and I give you that information, what are you going to do with it? And my core fear comes in right away is that I'm, I'm expecting betrayal and that's probably childhood stories that have led to that. Um, and so I think vulnerability is probably the scariest thing for an eight. And um, and I think that comes up, that, that resistance to that when you're not necessarily in a healthy place, eights particularly have had to learn in order to be themselves how to just own who they are, right? Because they don't really have a choice. It's very quickly like you're the strong one, you're the opinionated one, you're the powerful one, that kind of stuff. But it doesn't ever give you a space to not be that person. Um, And so that's what is exhausting and tiring about it. But I think when you have spent so long just I am the way that I am, I'm going to be the opinionated one at the table, I'm going to be strong, I'm going to offend people, I'm going to be assertive, and you have that kind of narrative going on, um, it can be really vulnerable when someone starts talking about wanting to do personal work or growth or whatever because it takes a long time to get to the place where you – embrace and don't feel ashamed for the fact that you intimidate people without even trying mm-hmm. and that you when you walk in the room most aides experience this that your presence can cause people to be intimidated immediately and so if you've grown up with that feeling whether you're a male or a female eight and then all of a sudden people are starting to talk about personal development and it's taken you a long time to own the fact that you are that type of person mm-hmm. and, and being um and then they want you to maybe change that that feels vulnerable and goes right to betrayal and the truth is there's that map and that story it could be we could say it's a dance honestly Mm -hmm. that each type is going to go through 
when they're approached with vulnerability, which is going to happen whenever you're talking about the Enneagram. Because yeah. yeah, we're I talking mean, about fears, motivations, childhood stories. Right. I mean, we, we've never big, done this. So. And bef- I don't think we have, but I think this could be really fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a test. How would each type feel the vulnerability of the Enneagram and become Ooh. resistant to it? Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is off the cuff, not planned, but I think we can do it. Yeah. So we'll just type, walk the wheel. So type. when you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table, yes. guys, this is what you need to understand. <laughs> you think that answer too, but you got to put yourself in her shoes of how she's about to experience it if you talk about it. So yes. this information is really valuable. I yeah. know you can do it too, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could, but you got it. <laughs> so Go. so for the type ones, they're going to feel that you're bringing up things to show that they're wrong, they're bad, they're corruptible, that they can't change and be ethical, good, balanced, and right. I mean, the one thing they don't want you to know. <laughs> the Enneagram saying, no, this is it. Yeah. Triggers <laughs> yeah. the inner critic. Yeah. Yes. The type twos, they're fearful that you're going to show them that they're giving to get, that they're actually selfish, that they're self-consumed, that they're, they feel like they can't be loved unless others appreciate them um, and see, you know, what they're doing or <laughs> that they're manipulating or they're, they're controlling what they want is they want you to want you to see and sense that they've given all that they can. They're generous, but yet you're kind of like, Hey, you're, you're, way too much you're giving too much you're you're asking too much they just prepared thanksgiving dinner yeah, yeah. by themselves <laughs> yeah and decorated the whole space and yeah <laughs> yeah and so they can feel very vulnerable yeah. in the sense of um that you see a part of them that they didn't really want you to see mm-hmm. um now the type threes they can feel that they're being exposed for not being who they really are mm-hmm. um that is all about image and prestige and the fact that you're pretty much showing them with the Enneagram, like, yeah, you're not as great as you thought, or you do have faults, or you you aren't, you know, number one. It, it does bring up the question, like with a three, you, you've you always bought into the f- facade, and now the Enneagram's saying, no, the facade may not be real, mm-hmm. and they're left there to ask the question, well, who really are you? Which is a scary question to ask if you don't feel safe. And particularly as a child, you didn't feel safe or whatever that story may be behind it. Mm. Uh, But it does bring up another question for the type three. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So the type fours, you know, for, for them, it's really scary to know that they may not be unique. Yeah. Now, of course they are, but when you put it in terms of the Enneagram, it's like, wait, there are other people like me. There are other fours. Like I'm not special and different. Now that is not what the Enneagram is saying, Mm -hmm. um, but that's how it can land on them and be extremely disheartening for the type four. I will say to you, and this is just my personal experience. Everybody could probably answer this differently. Who's used the Enneagram with family and friends. I usually get the most resistance from fours and sixes. Mm -hmm. I think from fours, it has to do with that, that it is literally a nightmare to not be individual and to be painted and in the box. How how are people going to love me if they don't like, if I don't present something unique and different Mm -hmm. for the world to admire and see and, and enjoy that special part of who I am, which is what we love about that four. They are different. We're all different and we're all unique and we love that part of the type four. But yes, the Enneagram can, when not used rightly, land on a four or even be used by others to say, nope, you just kind of fit in that box. And that is so, (laughs) so scary. It's so true. It's true of every number. I mean, I, We've got several sixes on our team, but our sixiness is all unique. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go with type five. Well, what comes to me for when I think of a five is their needs will be seen, but they've spent their life isolating and 
distance from other people, but now all of a sudden they have to embrace the reality that maybe that's a strategy that's coming out of fear. Mm-hmm. What, what do I do with that? Yeah. And people, and they could be really fearful that people would then enter their inner sanctum or their uh, private space because now they people know, no, they do have needs. And they might enter in without being asked or welcomed, and that can really deplete them very quickly. And talking about a lot of relational dynamics, whenever they're more comfortable with maybe intellectualizing relationships and emotions, it can be very scary to start talking about, well, hey, Five, how do you feel right now? (laughs) Without intellectualizing it uh, in the moment. But also, you know, they're so afraid of not having enough knowledge and understanding and being capable of using their knowledge in a way that um, makes them capable. So for them, they can probably start to realize, yeah, it's true. I mean, man, they are amazing at all the things that they can bring into their mind and categorize it and put it in like little filing cabinets and pull them out when needed. But they're still human. Yeah. yeah. I don't and know about you guys, but I find when I engage with fives about the Enneagram for the first time and then they they identify as a five, Usually they're some of the most receptive initially because this is interesting. Yes. Like this yes. is research and this is like, what is this? And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. Why are we talking about my emotions and my feelings? Like yes. I thought we were and talking about needs. a really cool test with all this like history behind it. <laughs> it's and funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Already, uh, Jeff, tell me about oh, you, No, you tell No, no, no. Them. You tell me. You're the Enneagram expert, <laughs> Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that uh, and it depends because there's a spectrum of sixes. Um, and so for, I think, the the phobic sixes, the one that the ones that we see and feel their anxieties, they can um, be fearful that people will take advantage of that mm-hmm. um, anxiety, that worry, um, and, and really kind of just almost not be sensitive to it and kind of be like, just toughen up, just just get over it. Or why are you being like that? It's going to be okay, you know, and not being very sensitive though if you go to the other spectrum and you're talking about counterphobic sixes which don't actually feel fear the way that we think about it the most of the time they're like i'm not scared i think for them you know people can really try to force that type of six to face their fears and vulnerabilities and i think that can be that can be fearful for the six when they're not quite ready for it i know for me personally uh the idea of being in the box i I don't have enough confidence that I'm going to get it right the first time that I share something. Mm. And so my real hope is to always be able to repair after. Mm. And if I'm putting in a box that I can't win you, I can't win your trust, I can't prove my trust Mm. or gain connection again, um, that's going to feel very vulnerable to to me, and I'm just going to opt out altogether. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Already seven. Okay, so sevens. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this one to me is kind of easy. Uh, it's really hard because the enneagram shows us all the positives, but all the negatives yeah. too. And for a seven, it's like, ah, uh, no, I'm out. Yeah, I, I can think of a seven that says, uh, "Yeah, this is going to be fun." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and it's fun for a second when it is kind of the party game, right? But when it gets really deep and really real, yeah, then they're like, "No, wait, I'm out." And until until they're with people that can do it well. Right. With they them. feel safe. They feel yeah. safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think to be vulnerable in that that very second, if someone is just going to pick them apart and show them all of their weaknesses and all that stuff. Because a lot of times when people use the Enneagram in a family setting, like Thanksgiving or Christmas, they just want to literally kind of vomit it all up. Like, oh, you got to know all the things about the Enneagram. And they just tell them everything. And one, it's just too much information. 
And so for a seven, that's just overwhelming. And then it sounds so such a downer yeah, and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, if you make it all fun and games, then you're not using the Enneagram correctly. Yeah. So with the sevens, I can see them being like, I'm out of here, you know? So. Well, and when we talk about loving each type, well, right. I think that's probably, if I had to say, as we're walking the wheel, one of the things that keeps coming to mind is like, how do you love that type? Well, if you suspect that a certain family member is this type or that type, how do you love them well? And then if the Enneagram comes up engage appropriately, so it doesn't kind of shut things down. And for me, it's like, remember that for sevens, like the holidays, like they are the celebrators, like they're the ones that we want to be celebrating and showing up and bringing that joy. And honestly, like they, they bring that to everybody else to, to that Thanksgiving table. And so allowing them to have that space to not have to go deep. It's not that sevens can't and won't, they totally will, but don't steal the joy of celebration and have to make it so deep on the holidays from them, honestly. Yeah, like part of knowing the Enneagram is loving them well. So we spoke a little bit earlier on eights, but Susie, do you want to summarize? Um, I would just say for eights, it's going to trigger their vulnerability and their fear fear of betrayal. um, And the box language is going to be really strong for them too. So, And then Bethy, what about the nines? Oh, well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is like people, if people were to come with the Enneagram being like, oh, you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that. I mean, the nine's like, one, don't tell me what I'm like. Mm. Second, I don't even know what I'm okay. like. I'm married, I'm married to a nine, Beth, and I can't even tell you how many times as an eight I've tried to read his mail, and he's like, don't tell me what I'm like. Like, yes. literally oh, what you just oh, said man, right Susie, there. I can't I've believe you just so, said that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, many times with oh. Jeff, like, don't tell me what I I'm I may thinking. be right, yeah. but she will tell me right, I'm wrong. Right, right, like, exactly. Don't you dare tell me. It's you not don't that I'm saying I'm yeah. that you're wrong. <laughs> it's don't tell me what I'm thinking right. and don't tell me what I'm feeling. And then behind that, I'm like, I may not know what I'm thinking and feeling, <laughs> but you're not going to tell, tell me. <laughs> I, I remember this one little quick story, but um, it was a son talking to his grandfather, and I don't think his grand, I can't remember what the, what the topic was or whatever, but um, afterwards, the, the, the son was trying to persuade the grandfather of something, and in the end, the type nine grandfather said, I, I just want to say I'm proud of you for trying. <laughs> the nine was so resistant, but still wanted to be affirming. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do this Enneagram thing, but thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be nice. nice about it. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and I think, you know, for the, for the nine, you know, for me, there is a lot of vulnerability in this space because we're trying to please and accommodate to everyone and thinking that we can and should and if anyone were just just take a moment and step back, you would realize that's impossible. The nines, we don't know that it's impossible. We live our life that way. And so the Enneagram is going to show us that we can't do it and we're incapable. Yeah. All it's saying to us nines is we're not good enough, mm-hmm. which is one of the core lies that we believe. And it just will make us sink down. So if that is kind of brought to the forefront, even though the person may not be trying to do that, it can feel very disheartening to the nine. Like, you mean... I can never have peace and harmony. Mm. And so it can be um, a really scary place for the nine. Overwhelming. Alrighty. Next question here is people are too busy and too busy and hurried to go beneath the surface. I mean, I know that they think that's true um, because we all are busy, but it's just kind of like if we get in the car and we want to go to like, let's say from Nashville to Chicago or to Kansas city or to Dallas, you can't just get in the car and start driving and say, I'm too busy to actually get the GPS up or a map 
for that matter, you know, whichever one you want to use, you, you can't just start driving. You, you have to have direction. You have to have understanding and clarity and you have to take the time to actually do it. So on one side, I totally understand. And the Enneagram, you know, I think a lot of people, um, they kind of realize that it's really complex and really deep. It is, but it doesn't have to be used that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just like GPSs and maps and all these things. Yeah, you could really probably geek out on them. I, I should ask a five. I don't even know. I just kind of like put in the coordinates and I just go. But I'm sure there's so many things that I could know about it that I don't. Um but we do need to take the time to have a some sense of clarity and understanding. And for anyone out there that's just like, well, where do you start? If you just understood the core motivations of all nine types and just had that, you can go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash core motivations. It's a free PDF download of all nine types core motivations. And if you just had that and just worth being very curious and kind and empathetic with everyone around you with understanding their core motivations, and your own, you can go so far. Well, and I, when I think of busyness, what comes to mind for me uh, is business or busyness as a self-protective strategy. It's mm-hmm. actually a mask for vulnerability, right? Yeah, uh, because you you're so busy, you can't check in on what's actually happening inside of you and what's happening in your relationships well, externally. And again, I come back with each objection. I come back with like, how can you share your own story with that? Right. Because for myself, I definitely felt like I didn't have time to take a test or to learn this or to figure this out. Um, but the more that I gave myself permission to do that, the more that this became one of the most um, transformational tools I've ever used. And so I think just kind of sharing like, gosh, you know what? I felt that way too. In the beginning, I felt like I didn't have time to dig into this, but I was curious about it and so once I kind of overcame some of these reservations it really really helps so if you ever want to learn more about it I have a book you can read or I know a place where you can take a free test and I think we have to be the ones to be vulnerable first like for instance you know for me as as a nine I can say yeah you know it is deep and is overwhelming but you know you could just start with like just real surface stuff that is super dynamic but by understanding the core motivations I have at least a glimpse of what's going on inside me and I, I now have a tools and understanding of how to apologize, right? Mm-hmm. So like sometimes I want to numb out and check out because of the core weakness of sloth, which is not a physical laziness. It's a not knowing myself. Well, if I don't know myself very well, I don't know how I'm impacting others in good ways and negative ways. And therefore, I can't really apologize or own up to certain things. But by just knowing that, I can actually go, oh, this is what's going on. You know, I'm so sorry. And I'm just using four core motivations to help me to dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah. Great. So the next question is, uh, or objection is, uh, people don't believe it's trustworthy. Um, so I feel like as an ex-evangelical, this is something that I run into a lot in some of the circles that I have and in our family, um, is that people really feel like the Enneagram honestly has demonic roots or is a scary tool or um, is not trustworthy. Or So you'll, you'll kind of get it from both places, like where it's evil and it's kind of a religious like distrust, or there's also a distrust of like... Um, is it sound? You know what I mean? Is it research-based? Is it fact-based? Is it, um, can it be used with mental health practices? So there's kind of both kind of distrust there. And the truth is, um, I actually don't engage on that part. I kind of say, you know, there's a lot of people who have questions about that. Um, and I actually refer to, and I did this even before I worked here, your guys' resources from your Enneagram coach on why we feel it's okay as Christians to use the Enneagram right. um, and our position on that. And so I think you can get that at your Enneagram coach.com 
slash origins. And um, there's a great article there that is research-based that explains how you can use the Enneagram from a faith-based perspective. But the same way that it is not helpful to engage with people who believe crazy conspiracy theories or talk about politics at Thanksgiving or Christmas, guys, we love the Enneagram, but you don't need to convince someone that it's okay to use it. That's not your job this holiday season. So if the conversations come up naturally, like enjoy them and engage and try to encourage people and use it to build stronger relationships without even mentioning it. There's ways to use it. Um, But if you have a particular family member who's like, um, or friend who's like, that is evil and it and wants to just debate over that, don't engage. You don't yeah. it's engage. not your job yeah, to just convince send them. Send them to your com forward yeah. slash origins. Yeah. We have three podcasts where we have three pastors and myself covering that topic. Right. And an article and plus other resources there. So just let them, you know, do yeah. their do their own like and and they're probably not gonna be convinced either way, which that's hey, they can not everybody has to believe in this. Not everybody yeah. has to use this tool. Um so I would just, you know, say that but um, also, you know, it's okay that we don't even, that's one reason why I said we don't even have to fully engage in these uh, conversations, but still use the Enneagram. Like, so when we're at Thanksgiving, I'm very mindful of my family's Enneagram types, but I don't bring it up and I don't sit around nuance at all, but I am mindful of like, you know, how can I love them well? You know, how can I use this tool to love them well instead of using the tool to push them off, to get them in a debate, to get them to feel vulnerable? Like those aren't like that's just not going to be beneficial. I mean, you know, God said the first commandment is to love him. And the second commandment is just as equal as to love others. Yeah. And so what does it mean to love others? Mm -hmm. And I just don't think debating the Enneagram or putting people, quote unquote, in a box or making it a party game and making people feel belittled or no. or shamed yeah. by you know how they've been created is, is going to be worth it. Well, you're speaking to the last question, uh, which is, or objection, which is, is it helpful? Is the Enneagram helpful? Susie's alluded to it professionally, mm-hmm. where sometimes these personality tests, they, they don't translate into anything that's actionable. Right. Um, you put your disc profile or your top five strengths on your desk, on your coffee mug, but it doesn't change anything at the end of the day and how people relate to you. But what Beth was just referring to is the helpfulness of the Enneagram, is that you can ref- simply ask questions of what would be helpful for this person in this moment to illustrate how the Enneagram can actually help us to relate better with one another. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, you know, our daughter is a type two, and she is so excited to be able to do a lot of the the baking and the cooking, yeah. because I don't want to. We all know this. Mm-hmm. Beth would just rather go to <laughs> Sam's and pick up the mashed potatoes there and yeah. all the things that are done. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm like, you know what? That's just so much simpler and easier. But my daughter's like, Mom, you cannot do that. <laughs> you have to like put your love into the food. And I'm like, Do you yeah, really? I just, I just loved Sam's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I love that she wants to give of herself in that way. Mm-hmm. So, and we all know it's stressful. And so, as she goes about her day and she is cooking and doing all these things, I can kind of help alongside her. But what I also know about her is that she wants to know that this has value and meaning and that her care and service and nurture means something to us. And so I want to make sure that I'm mindful of that and that I don't go over the top and be like, oh my gosh, you're the best, you know, like, no, but just like, 
you know, I'm so thankful that you're so willing to do all of this for us because it really does matter to have a wonderful Thanksgiving meal that has been uh, made with your hands and your thought and your care. And so by knowing what she's hoping for, I can meet her there with that same language without it placating or being silly, but just really poignant and meaningful. Wouldn't that be amazing? How about this? How about we all go home to be around family for Thanksgiving and try to do one loving thing to each member of your family. Yeah, well, and I was just going to say, if you want to use the Enneagram this holiday season with your loved ones, whether you have the opportunity to formally introduce it or not, how cool to use this tool in a way by saying, by asking yourself that. Like, okay, I believe that this person in my family is probably this type. What? How could I affirm them yeah. or serve them in a way and love on them in a way that would be meaningful to that type? And see if the connection is actually stronger than okay. other times you've tried to connect with so them. let's do a walk the wheel really fast on Ooh. how to affirm <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, no 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 we can do this how we can affirm each of the types so okay. with your type ones you can affirm them that they are wise and insightful and that they are trying to bring reform and goodness to the family and to all of life twos you can affirm them that they are loving and serving and caring in ways that most of us don't see. They're very attuned to each of us. The threes, we want to show them that their ability to see the end of where we're all trying to get to and strategizing to have plans and goals and mission statements is so helpful for us to build ourselves and to grow ourselves in a really great way. For the fours, we really want to thank them for bringing their full self and for allowing us to be who we really are in their presence because they can handle it. Um, the vulnerability and the transparency, the fives, you know, we want to affirm them that, you know, that this was true when I was growing up, I'd have a type five uncle and he knows a little bit of everything. <laughs> and so I would come with like a question and I would be kind of like, like, let's see if he'll know this, you know, and I'd ask him and he would literally be like an encyclopedia and he would give me so much incredible information on a topic that I really was interested in. And so for the fives to give us so much of who they are in their intellect is really powerful. The six is, you know, to affirm them that they have been so responsible, loyal and dutiful, um, that they are thinking of everyone and how to come through for them and support them. Um, and to bring that kind of that loyalty and that commitment to the family unit is so powerful for the sevens that they are bringing the celebration and the joy and the brightness to the whole situation. It brings so much abundance, the type eights that they have your back, right? Mm. That they see the weaknesses of you or the family, and they're going to shore you up and they're going to do everything to protect you and that they are absolutely loyal and committed to your well-being. And then for the nines, affirm them by sitting with them, asking them about them, and listening well. Reflect back to them what you're hearing and show genuine curiosity and interest in what they have to say. That alone will show great love to your type nines. Well, friends, I hope you really enjoyed this. I, it was great to just sit down and talk about these questions. Yeah. I mean, we we encounter them all the time, but we've never just uh, recorded anything of us talking through our answers. So we hope that it's been beneficial for you all. Well, a couple of things just not to forget in the end. Uh, before your Enneagram knowledge, uh, your personal story and how the Enneagram has helped you is what's most important here. And yes. so m- before your your story and life change speaks louder than your words. Remember your Enneagram manners at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. what we're <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, that is so no, awesome. But share your heart first and your own personal story before yes. you jump right into tests and types. So. 
Well, thanks guys for joining us for this really fun conversation. We hope that you will enjoy the holidays with your family, that it will be um, full of love and support and kindness, curiosity um, and tenderness for each of your family members and yourself. Well, remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to change all of your family members. (laughs) It's the gospel that transforms us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.